0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 12th, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: Uh, I'm Margot Diekman Edlin, and I my years at the radio station were from 1982 to 1985. Um, and I started when the call letters were WVHC. And then during my tenure at the radio station, it became WRHU.
0: Okay, and did you hold any titles or management positions at the station?
1: I did. I was a program operations director um, for some time, and um, that was the only that was the only position I held. Um, you know, I was one of those students who worked as well as commuted to school, as well as was working at the radio station. So after a stint of being a, uh, the program operations director. Uh, you know, I thought, well, there's a, there were only so, so many things I could balance as a college student, so I, I didn't take any other administrative positions after that.
0: Okay, um, what uh, shows did you host or producer work on during your time there?
1: So I started out as an engineer for the Irish Country Music program with Tony Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, did board operations and announcements for the classics at Hofstra. Um, at one point I did do the, um, the jazz program in the afternoons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I did a program. Um, it was uh, rave up. And then I did, um, some, you know, classic, classic rock. I did the, the name Gosh, it's so long ago, the name of it uh, s- slipped my mind, but it was more classic rock. And then there was um, a show called Rave Up that I did for a while.
0: That I'm not familiar with. What was that about?
1: That was, that was, <laughs> well, in the words of um, a program director at the time or the music director at the time, it was more b-sides and bullshit (laughs) it was kind of the um it was its uh, unofficial nickname it was the it was the poor um stepsister to the post-punk progressive pop party um so we could play uh 80s music but it couldn't be the cutting edge stuff um that was on the five p's so um you know we got to play You know, we had uh, I I played everything from Tom Petty to Devo to whatever else. But, um, you know, there were certain songs that were music or artists that were meant for that cutting edge 11 to 2 p.m. slot in the um, late evening to early morning. And uh, so we we played the other stuff and we tried to be as innovative and cutting edge as possible while leaving the good stuff for Jeff Foss if you recall him.
0: I do. I do. And I remember, I remember P5 well. Um, So what was that on once a week or was it multiple nights? When was that on?
1: I believe it was on five nights a week and it was a lead up to um, five P's. So, um, but again, you know, (laughs) You know, I I can't even believe I remember the names of the different programs at this point. You know, I'm thinking back. I haven't thought about this in such a long time. Um, I it was I believe it was five nights a week, um, okay. and I had one of the um, you know midweek slots.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, cool. And
1: I think it went from nine to eleven or ten to eleven. It was it was right before it.
0: Got it. So one show leading into the other. All right.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh, of wh- course, I'm sure if somebody listens to this, um, they'll say, no, she's wrong. That's not how it was. And and that would be great if they did, because I'd like my memory jogged if I'm wrong, but that's how I remember it. So.
0: Well, we'll go with that until, until we hear otherwise. <laughs> okay. did, did you use your own name on air or did you have an on air personality name?
1: I, I, you know, I think at the time um, I was young and I thought uh, I would be like Madonna and just go with the name Margot. Um, I, I didn't have any other name. Um, certainly my name was, Diekman is not a name that lends itself well to radio hmm. um, or broadcast of any kind. So I, I, I just went by Margot at the time and that was more than enough.
0: Okay. Um, so... What first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And if you could, can you recall or describe what the station was like when you first went there? Maybe a first meeting or the first time you went to the office or the studio, something that sticks out, if you could, you know, give an idea of what the station looked like uh, as you began
1: there. Sure. So I came to Hofstra wanting to be a communications major Um, and... I hesitated in the first year, um, to join the radio station. I, I was just sort of focusing on, um, getting used to college. And then I slowly, um, you know, discovered the radio station and, and the exact, um, way I came about finding the station, um, is lost to the, uh, Is lost to time and poor memory, but um, I made my way to the basement of Memorial Hall, and it was rather a dreary place. Um, It was um, they had they had just they we had a very temporary setup um, at first. Um, It wasn't quite the full. studio in memorial hall and then we finally moved into new studios down the hall Mm -hmm. um which were very very nice studios compared to where they were at they were in the basement of a theater on campus and so that was a really tiny setup and um we were in some temporary quarters for a while in memorial hall and then once they finished the new studios uh the temporary um studio uh became more storage for us and we moved down the hall from the men's room in the basement of memorial hall Mm -hmm. um which um interestingly or not depending on how you look at it um would occasionally flood Mm -hmm. um particularly if something went awry in the men's room and because they had made it uh ada compliant Uh, and they had a a ramp leading down to the, um, (laughs) to the studios. Um, I, I, you know, I'll leave it to your imagination what that could be like if the studio leaked. And it did. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it did. I do. One of, one of my memories is um, looking around as water was beginning to fill the studio. And we were caught, we called um, Jeff Krause at home and, um, we said, so we have this situation here. And he said, how high is the water? And I gave him a marking of where uh, up the cabinets that house the turntables and all the other equipment. And he said, time to shut it down. And I said, okay. Uh, and we, we signed off the air um, until the flood could be um, uh, taken care of. Um, wow. So that was <clears throat> one of my... Um, you know, better recollections of the studio. Uh, I remember going upstairs to the office, which was on the second floor of Memorial Hall. And it was this rather out of the way office that you could only get to by a back staircase. It was separated from the rest of the building. (laughs) Or (laughs) do you recall that? I I,
0: I don't, but it sounds sounds on brand. It sounds right. It
1: was very on brand. So they gave us this... um, So the old office was um, at the back of Memorial Hall. And the only way you could find the entrance was from the parking lots that Mm -hmm. were um, on the very western side of the campus near the admissions building. uh, And it was up a staircase. And the only other way you could access it was to step out of the office and right in front of an elevator that went down into the cafeteria. Mm hmm. Uh, which was called, because it was right near the computer um, science department, uh, it was called something byte, B-Y-T-E.
0: Bits and bytes.
1: Thank you very much. Yes, bits and bytes. And then you could, the elevator would open up into the cafeteria, and it would then go further down to the basement um, where the studios were. Um, And so um, it was you know, it was difficult to, you know, at night you would, you know, stop in the cafeteria and just look around. There was nothing much to do. Um, but that's that, but the, the, it was the elevator or that, that staircase. Um, and those were the only ways you could get to the office. So um, I, I recall that. And I remember one of the things that stood out to me was that when people would visit the office and if they were to speak to Jeffrey Krauss, who was, um former Hofstra student one of the founders of the radio station and the general manager for many many years um they would stand in front of his desk where he had a bookshelf Mm -hmm. and people would stand in front of the bookshelf in front of his desk and address him over the bookshelf (laughs) um and I, I, you know, I, it never occurred to me that this is how people interacted with him until one day I stood up from my desk, walked to the side of his desk, leaned my arm on the bookshelf and began speaking to him. And he said, you're not standing behind the bookshelf. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, am I supposed to stand by the bookshelf? And then walked around <laughs> and he said, no, 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 come back. He said, you're the only person that's ever walked up to the side of my desk and spoken to me like a normal person. Um, and I remember thinking, are you not a normal person? I, I, I just I didn't know how to to respond to that. It just never occurred to me that there was this sort of barrier. Um, it was a shabby office. It really was with uh, it looked like all the old metal office desks that had been discarded from elsewhere on campus. Mm-hmm brought to the radio station draws stuck um we had a a a revolting sofa um, (laughs) that had seen um many many adventures yeah uh, to put it politely and um you know so there and i i do remember that sofa going out a window into a dumpster at some point um so, you know, we had some very interesting memories of that, but that was where uh, some of the life of the station took place. And then at some point, I, I want to say after I graduated, um, the offices moved and they were down. And this may be more your time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that's probably where we met. They had moved the offices down the hall from the the, um, the studios. Um. On the opposite end of the hallway, if I'm remembering correctly, or maybe that was the new building. See, I don't even remember being ever being in the new building.
0: Yeah. Um, When I was there in the early nineties, the, the office was in the basement and I just interviewed someone and I can't quite remember who it was, but they said the office was on the second floor. And I, I was never aware of that. And so there's been I've been trying to piece things together between moving from the little theater to Memorial Hall completely, and now I have that piece about the second floor office yes. that was unknown so, to me. So,
1: and I, I I'm trying to remember the where you know where exactly you know in my mind I'm trying to visualize it, and I'm not doing a particularly good job of it, but. Um, We did have some awful, you know, some awful little temporary studio in the basement of um, Memorial Hall before we moved into the newer studios. Um, And I remember after graduating, I I came back and I was doing some work with Sue Zizza. She had gotten a um, grant from, I I, want to say it was Chase Bank, uh, and she was working on a, a series of short stories to be dramatized for the radio called The American Short Story. Uh, and through the grant, she brought me on to help, um, make sure we had copyright clearance to record the stories, mm-hmm. uh, and take care of that end of the, um, the grant project. Uh, and at that point, this, the, um, the offices were in the basement and I thought the reason was so that there could be better oversight of the studios and what was happening in the studios, mm-hmm. um, I often remember, you know, somebody would slip and something would come out and, um, you know, we would be listening in the upstairs office and then Jeff Krause or somebody would have to go down and check on things. So I think that may have been part of the reason. Um, but I also believe that at that point, uh, construction had begun on, um, Dempster hall, which would be the communications building, mm-hmm. um, for everyone. And, um, it, it was going to be a much, much nicer building. And that's currently where those studios are now. So um, that was, that was, you know, that was in progress. And but everybody was downstairs um, at that point. And I believe that the TV studios um, were somewhere downstairs as well. So it kept, they kept us all in the basement.
0: Hmm. the um it, during my time there there the uh the tv facility was in dempster and then uh probably at, i want to say 92 i think they started building the facility that would become the radio station so now this is all making sense that there all was right. maybe a long-term look at moving from the basement to the new facility eventually
1: okay and so then then you've pieced in um filled in a little bit of my memory because then it, the reason the offices could move downstairs was that we, they probably had vacated some of the TV studios to make room for that office because it was a much more spacious office in the basement. Um, and I think at that point it, that may have been the former TV studios. And again, because I was off campus at that point, um, you know, I was, I was at that point working and, and, um, working on a a master's degree so i was excuse me i was um you know i wasn't in the everyday fold of the station to remember all the goings-on but i do remember coming back and the studios being downstairs in the basement and it must have been the the space vacated by the television studios
0: okay so we're we're putting some clues together here. This is this is this is great. This is one of the main reasons I wanted to do this is to put it all together. Uh, okay, great. So so you make your way down to the radio station. And yes. were there any training classes? Were there engineering classes or announcing classes to get you prepared to be on the air? And do you remember working with anybody or how that went?
1: Yes. First of all, um, Rick Walzewski was the uh chief announcer and he put everybody through his own training Mm -hmm. uh so i remember um training you know on how to use the microphone how to project um and you know you know advice on reading copy um there were also engineering classes i am trying to remember um i think uh, Jeff Krause gave us the course that we needed back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed a first-class radio telephone operator's license from the FEC- FCC. Um, and um, you had to take a test. And then once you took the test, you know, the your pass or fail grade um, from the whoever administered it, it might have even been... Um, I wonder it was, it was Kit Hunt and her husband, Frank. I can't remember Frank's last name, but he was the chief engineer of the station. So it, it, he may have even given us the test, but then the, those test scores were sent off to the FEC and eventually you got uh, a paper license um, in the mail and you had your first class radio telephone operators license. Uh, at some point, they no longer required that. Um, but I, I still have my copy of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so there were, there were classes to teach you that. And then the, the programming that you got assigned to, um, you, you started out, there was very much a hierarchy of where you started out. So you started out doing, uh, board operations and, um, you know, operating the board for other people. Right. Um, and you know, then you could move your way up. So I started with uh, working with Tony Jackson uh, and doing that programming. And then um, and the newbies got the weekends or, you know, those the slots they didn't want. I, and I remember um, President Schubert, um, who um, was the president of the college at the time, thought it would be wonderful to have the classics at Hofstra. Mm-hmm. Uh, be a program. And so every morning I, I, it was for about three hours, it was the classic, you, it was classical music. And, um, then you, you moved up. That was like a, a promotion, so to speak, is that you, you operated, um, and, and you played the classics. And so it was very, uh, subdued DJing, you know, there wasn't a lot that you had to announce. Um, so, so that was the step up. And then from there it was, it was, um, the jazz, you know, you could do the jazz from three to 6 PM. And then you, you moved up to these other, uh, other shows that you might have wanted to do with a more popular music. Um, or what was contemporary at you know, at that point. So that was sort of the way you worked your way through the schedule and through levels of experience. <coughs> and, um, so I so I did those different stints, but the, I always um for the longest time I kept Tony Jackson's program. Mm-hmm.
0: Um
1: just because I was so very fond of him and he was so he and his wife were such great people and um even just the callers that used to call in um you know were were super um people to talk to and um there was one woman, and I, I can't remember her last name. Eileen Comer, I do remember her name. Eileen Comer. She was, um, she was a big fan, and she called in all the time. And you got to know these callers. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she's taken over the program from him. Um,
0: that that sounds right. That sounds right. Yes. Now that you I, mentioned
1: I, it, I had heard that, and that she she took the program over, which was such a a great thing, you know, that here's this person who just liked to listen to Irish country music. She just connected with Tony because she was a fan and it, you know, she liked having memories of home. Um, And that now she's, now she's one of our community um, broadcasters for the, for the program. So I think that's just a neat um, transition uh, to that program. Um, But I had great experiences all along. I mean, some of the experiences, some of the best experiences I had was working with Tony Jackson. Um, he had all kinds of interesting guests, um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: all kinds of interesting guests. And the most interesting guest I met was who he's now quite famous, but at the time he was just a young man, um, coming to the United States to compete in the, um, paralympic games he was um i think it was so the empire games he was competing at mitchell field and it was for you know the paralympics and his name is ronan tynan um oh you you do know who he is yes yes he is um one of the irish tenors um he's very well known um is, does many, many, um, he's done many concerts and programs all over the world. Um, And actually uh, I had met him, he, just a regular guy. I loaned him my library card so he could um, borrow a few books from the library. Um, Had been born with a a bone deformity or some sort of um, disability, a congenital disability of the legs. Um, and he, he, at a very young age, um, his legs were amputated at the knees. Um, and he, um, was it, so he was a double double amputee and he was doing track and field, um, and studying to be a veterinarian.
0: Hmm.
1: And then, but always could sing. And, um, then went on to become a world famous, one of the world famous Irish tenors. So that was, that was, that was one of my, uh, um, that's like, the, the biggest um, moment I, I think of my uh, radio career having met this person and then years later because um, he made an impression even then mm. so to then see him at, at, at be famous now is was for me a just a really great and memorable experience um but we really had some interesting characters come through that station um, and, uh, so I, 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 think that was, it was a good learning experience. It was a very good mm. learning experience. And, and there were some very lasting friendships that were made as well.
0: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So, so you start off with the classics from Hofstra and your engineering Tony show. Do you remember your first time on the air or behind the board? Do you remember what it was like being a new DJ?
1: You know, it's, I imagine I was incredibly excited. Now it just feels that I've always done it and it doesn't seem, it it just seems so run of the mill now, but I think I I was very excited. I was also, um, and anybody who knows me would not believe this. I think I was very nervous and, and, and a little bit shy about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and not very good at ad-libbing, um, at that, that point, I was, I guess, you know, being just a young teen, I was I like 19 years old when I started, so I was a little bit more self-conscious um, then, but um, it was exciting, and I, I, what was exciting about it is I, I got to be on the air, people heard you, and there were people who, you know, people used to tease you, who listens to that station? I mean, who listens to 88.7 FM? I mean, who even heard of that? Uh, but there were people out there who did. There were people in the community who listened
0: mm-hmm.
1: and would call on a regular basis, um, and so there may not have been many people out there, but there there were people out there who listened, and so it was a good experience, and it was a um, it was an ego booster, um, and then it was it was good job training. I mean, I think. It's interesting, as a as a, an educator now, uh, having to have spent the last year online in front of my laptop, the way I'm doing right now, talking to you, um, that that training prepared me for this.
0: One hundred percent. Yeah,
1: Uh, You know, people tell me, aren't you upset talking to um, little black boxes on the screen or little avatars? How do you do it? It's so odd just to talk into nothing and just to talk into blank space. And I thought, no, I'm ready. Um, You know, that's that's really what you did in radio. So I think it really did, um, you know, just came so naturally to do that online that I think that the training at Hafsha really had a lot to do with it. That being said there was you know there was you were never really alone in the studio there was always somebody hanging out coming to see you popping by
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it was a lively place even even <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night or you know we would sometimes stay around on the Friday night or Saturday night and hang around with Jeff Foss just just to keep everybody company uh, in the studio so there was always right. something going on. Um, I was also, I think the first real introduction to reggae music was from John Mike, because they came on right after Tony, um, Tony Jackson. So that was a, that was an interesting experience to learn about reggae music.
0: That's, that's, Um, that's quite a segue to go from Irish country to, to reggae music.
1: I mean, It's a very, but that's, that was the great thing about college radio is that they, um, they had a whole community service aspect particularly on the weekends and so uh you 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 jumped around to from from all different genres i mean you went from um uh what was basha's program is polka
0: polka yeah
1: yeah so she had the polka program and you had irish country and you had reggae and you just you had all kinds of things and again you know preparation for real life i mean i did a stint um in new york city i was an assistant to somebody who was a trustee of a radio station called wnwk um and um i'm trying to remember the the uh frequency i was i want to say 105.9 or something way down on the end of the fm dial and um The radio station was in receivership and there were three people who were trustees of the radio station operating the radio station until the FCC uh, um, finally awarded the final license. And they also did a community sort of broadcasting where they had just different programming from different cultures. Um, And in in many ways, it was just like being at the the Hofstra radio station. Hmm. So, I mean, I really did learn a lot there.
0: So as you were getting started there, you mentioned Jeff Krause, you mentioned Rick. Mm -hmm. Who are other people who were important or instrumental in getting you uh, comfortable at the station?
1: Uh, There was Gennaro Tallarico. He was the program operations director before I was. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm trying to remember names. Um. Mark D'Agostino, he was uh, an engineer. He was also very kind and gave me some pointers. Um, Trying to think of who else was there. You know, it all blurs when you think of who. um, There was a woman by the name of Kathy Pyatt. She was program director. I don't remember who the operations manager was at the time. Um, But there are a lot of people. There were always people there um, looking to help you improve Um, trying to make you break up on the air to see if you would crack (laughs) up, uh, which was a good, which was good training, um, to keep, you know, to keep from falling apart, um, in public when you shouldn't. Um, I remember working closely with Bart DeLeo, um, and, um, trying to think who else, Carol, um, Carol Brooks. Um, and Sue Zizza, so you know, we learned a lot um, from from everybody. There was always somebody trying to help you, and and Jeff Krause was was always a um, a good guide. In fact, I credit Jeff with helping me change from being a communications uh, major to a communication minor, and and then studying English, and then eventually becoming a high school English teacher and then a college English professor. Hmm. Um, I was talking to him about, you know, what I would do after college and he said, teach people how to write. Um, but that didn't, uh, that didn't prevent me from working in radio for a while, but, um, there were a lot of people there who were influential. Um, it was really just a really, uh, tight group of young people, uh, just helping each other out. I mean, we had our squabbles and our, our differences of opinion. Um, in the end, we were kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but I think for a bunch of kids running a radio station, we tried to be as professional as possible. Um, and so there were always people giving you pointers along the way. I, you know, I did the news for a while as well. There was a news program, and you know, I'm just thinking about influential people. And I was thinking of Dave Bolander and, uh, Dave Dees. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we did a news program as well. And we, we would do the news and I'm trying to remember, I want to believe it was right around 6 PM, like right after jazz. And then, then the nighttime programming would come on. Um, but we really, we really worked hard. And so there was, there was a lot of help. Mm. Um, so I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to think of everybody else, you know, Dan Darupo. I don't know if you know Dan. Um, so there were many, there were many people that, you know, sort of guided you along the way.
0: When, you said earlier that you, you kind of stayed away from the station your first year at Hofstra, and then you did go in and get involved. And despite the location of it and the dinginess of it, did you, did you feel comfortable right away or did it take some time to, to, to get used to the, to the station and feel like I can, I can do this. I want to be here.
1: Um, I think there was an initial awkwardness of maybe a week. Um, and then I realized that I, I, I could do this and that the, these were people I could work with. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it was, it was no different than being the new person to any group. Um, there was some sense of walking into a conversation that had been ongoing for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there was a bit of a pecking order. So, um, me who just wanted to walk in and say, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Um, you know, I had to sort of you know, draw back and say, okay, there's a pecking order and people do things a certain way. But um, other than that, I, I, you know, it was very easy to get along with people. You know, I'm thinking more and more now there was somebody who was the traffic coordinator who plugged in all the public service announcements that were required to do. And, you know, Susie, why can't I remember her name? Susie Gerber, mm-hmm. um, and just people that I got along with and that we socialized with outside of the radio station. So these weren't just people that, you know, okay, you saw at school, uh, you work with them in this program. Um, and then they, they dis- you disappeared and you went off with other people. These, these, these were, um, these were friends and, and some of these people are still friends. I'm still in touch with well, I'm I'm in touch with you. I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. we met through the station, um, but we were several years apart. I was doing um, that project with Sue Zizza, the um, American short story, and you were in the office, right? And we just met through me coming regularly to do that project. Years later, it turns out you ended up working with my husband. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know it's a it's a tight group it's a small group, um, but they're still together. I, I'm still in touch with Carol Brooks. I'm still in touch with Dan Gerupo, um, a woman by the name of Debbie Rakowski, um, Rick Walzewski. So you know there's a lot of people that you know how we've remained in each other's orbit. Maybe not cl- very very closely um, connected, but still connected. So. Um, you know, there were a lot of people, so it didn't take long once I got there. And once I, you know, sort of summoned up the, okay, if this is what I want to do, I have to get involved with this. Um, and then once I did that, then it was, it was a small adjustment period. And then, you know, I fit right in.
0: Wow. So, so we've, we've got the benefit of hindsight and obviously you've, you've pulled up all these great names and great stories and, and, and thinking back. That's what we've been doing to, to sort of wrap this up. And it's, it's hard to do, but maybe you can, you know, as you're walking in there as a second year student or about to be Mm
1: -hmm. walking
0: into the station, what did you think, or what did you hope Hofstra radio would be for you?
1: I really had hoped I was going to use that as a springboard to um, a career in radio Mm -hmm. and a career in broadcasting and, and stay in that field. And um, it did initially get me um, a job in broadcasting, um, right at, pretty much right out of college. Um, I never thought that what it would do is, is um, bring me to where I am today uh, you know, as a, as a college professor, I, I would never have thought that that's where I would have ended up when I walked into that studio. Mm. Um, but it was instrumental. Um, so again, I, I, I alluded to this earlier that, you know, um, being on the radio and sort of just talking into a microphone with nobody there, uh, prepare me for this online learning. Um, I, you know, when I was really struggling with what <clears throat> I should do with a career and should I stay in radio or not, <clears throat> I went back to Hofstra and asked Jeff Krause if he would give me a recommendation for grad school. Uh, and he sat down with me and he said, well, what do you plan to do? And I said, I really don't know. And he said, teach, teach people to write. You're better suited for that.
0: Hmm. Um, wow.
1: And he said, figure out why these kids can't write and don't want to write, you go do that. And, and he wrote me the letter and I, I, I did write from graduating with a master's degree at Adelphi. They gave me, um, they gave me a job teaching, uh, you know, composition and that from there, that's my career took off in, in the education field. But, um, You know, so I really thought I was going into radio permanently. And I did. I found a job uh, on air late at night, overnight at um, WBAZ in South Hold, Mm -hmm. which at the time was brand new to the air. I, I actually got to flip the switch that put them on the air for the very first time. Wow. Um. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it was, it was a really, it, to this day, it, it's a really big moment. And um, at the time they were at 101.7 point the FM dial. And now I think they've changed ownership and they're um, down, they're still WBAZ, but they're down on the South shore. But, um, you know, Haftra did that for me. I, I left, uh, I graduated in May of 1985 and by July of 19, 85, I had that position. Um, and, and, and it's a tough business. It's tough being, um, on air overnight, yeah. middle of the night. Um, you know, and I, it wasn't sure if I could really do that long-term. Um, and then I worked in the city for a while and it was another WRHU alumnus who got me the, the position, you know, Rick Walzewski, um, said he knew this person, um, when his, the, his man worked with his brother at, um, sports phone.
0: Yeah. This oh yeah.
1: You sports phone? Um, so he got me a job working as an assistant to this person. And so I worked at WNWK for a while. Uh, and, and, and it's a tough, if it's a, it's a tough business and, um, you know, Jeff Krause was right. I, I wasn't entirely suited to it. Um, and teaching was really the best for me. And I, you know, I took some detours. I worked at a scientific publishing company, but, um, I was really good at, you know, editing manuscripts and they said, well, how do you do them so quickly? But, you know, we were used to rip and read and writing, we were trained to write copy on the gut on the fly. Right. Right. Um, so those are all things that were preparatory that really, um, you know, helped me, um, And every step I took in my career, I relied on something I learned, um, you know, at the radio station, having, you know, my communication classes, but I really didn't think that I would end up a professor, but here I am and using the skills I still learned back then.
0: Margo, this was sincerely fantastic. Um, I loved hearing these stories and, um, I'm going to have more questions and I hope you have more stories and uh, let's talk again sometime.
1: I, I I, will have plenty more stories and um, plenty more names uh, of people that might be interested in doing this. This was really fun. Uh, I'm really grateful that you asked me. I enjoyed doing it and I am really, really excited to um, actually see the whole finished product, not just, you know, me and you talking, but to see how this turns out for um, the other alumni.